Thank you so much, Mark. It's a great joy to be back with you again. We have very happy memories of our previous times with you, and it's a sheer joy. Um, he speaks about sacrifice. You know, as I was being driven in here this morning, looking at Table Mountain, I thought, wow, such a sacrifice <laughs> to be here. It's a massive pleasure, as I'm sure you realize. And uh, England has just been through its wettest February on record. Uh, it's such a sacrifice to miss it all. Uh, so, so it's a massive joy to uh, just catch your spirit of worship. Uh, this great band leading us, these wonderful words of these songs. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm usually in a different church virtually every Sunday, and it's wonderful to be in a worshiping community whose eyes are really on Jesus. And sometimes we have to sing some very silly songs. So I'm delighted uh, to be with you as you focus on Jesus as the one who is enough for us and uh, a sheer joy. I've been so blessed already, and I do pray I can be a blessing to you in the Word. I'm going to be speaking to you from Matthew's Gospel and chapter 14. I'll read a short section with you. It'll be very familiar. Okay, so Matthew chapter 14 from verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. The hour is already late. We should send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we've only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the ground, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him and said to him, you little faith, why did you doubt? Father, thank you so much for the joy of being in your presence, of worshiping you. We acknowledge, Lord, we could have been anywhere else, wasting our lives. And in your mercy, you've wakened us up with your wonderful good news. And Lord, we pray that we might be really edified here, 
Holy Spirit, come we pray, be our teacher, lead us into truth, let the truth captivate us, let it release us, let it do us good, maybe Lord, benefit in a measurable way by your word coming to us, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story of the Gospels is very exciting. We see crowds gathering to Jesus. Here we see him with some thousands gathering around as he preaches and teaches and heals and then feeds them. And there's a gathering momentum. People are wondering, is he possibly the promised Messiah? Is he the one that we've been waiting for? Phenomenal things happening. They've never heard teaching like it. This one is gathering huge crowds. But it's interesting to notice that Jesus himself is very focused on the 12 apostles. He's very focused on preparing what becomes a foundation for a new community on planet Earth, the people who are in Christ, the people who are taught by him, who are joined to him, who are like branches in a vine. He is bringing forth a new community on the planet. And you'll find in John 17, for instance, at the end of his life and ministry, he prays a prayer that's totally focused on these 12. He says, I've finished the work you gave me to do. And the prayer is all about these 12. What you gave me, I've given to them. Uh, they've seen my uh, ways. They've heard my voice. Uh, and he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. I do pray for those who will believe through them this company that you will raise up ultimately that will go across all the nations of the earth. But this new people he's focused on, and he's training these 12. These three years are spent training 12 that he will hand the baton over to who will then go in his name. So it's fascinating to see how he trained them. And the thing we see here is he trained them by sending them into a storm. Now, I went to a Bible college, and, uh, you know, I learned Greek, and I learned uh, uh, New Testament ethics. I learned uh, all kinds of Bible study. Uh, but he never said on my program, this week we go into a storm. Uh, but the way Jesus prepared guys was not just to get information into their heads, but to learn to trust him in pressure and difficulty and challenges where he doesn't seem to be around. Because shortly he's going to ascend up into heaven. Shortly he won't be around. You won't be able to turn around and say, Jesus, where are No, no, he's gone up through the heavens. And here in this story, they're in a storm and he's gone up in a mountain to pray. And it's a kind of image of what's going to come. And they're being prepared, trained, made ready for what lies ahead. They're sent into a storm in way of preparation. Now for many of us, when we hit a storm, we think, oh, I've lost the way. I've lost the Lord. Why am I in this storm? But the Bible wants to assure us that when you hit a storm, it is no proof that you've lost the will of God. They were sent into a storm. And to follow Jesus is no guarantee, I'll never hit storms, I'm following Jesus. Now these guys are following Jesus and they go straight into a storm. He actually sends them there. He commissions them into a storm. He knows what he's doing. He is after something, okay? So we just need to understand maybe something of the backdrop of this story to remind us what they are actually also being saved from. Because sometimes we don't see the big picture. We, don't, we see what we're in, but we don't see what we might have been in had he not sent us there. And so these disciples are in this growing wave of popularity that Jesus is enjoying. 
people are beginning to wonder, is he? Could he be the promised one? You know, they said that to John the Baptist. Are you the one? He said, no, there's another one coming. This, Israel was full of expectation of a promised king. He would be like David's son. He's going to be a great king. Of course, they often got it wrong. Their expectation of a Messiah was he'd be like David because he's called the son of David. He'll sit on David's throne. But what did David do? Well, he killed Philistines. He got rid of the enemy. He moved with terrific authority and power, and he reigned over a nation. And they were waiting for a king like that. Just as David got rid of the Philistines, surely this Messiah will get rid of the Romans. The Romans who are wrecking our lives, who are dominating our, our lives, spoiling. We need this king to be raised up. And could he be the one? Could he be the one? Now we read that he just ascended this mountain. He preached. He healed. It says he was there for three days. The crowd was with him for three days. He preached. He healed. He preached. He healed. At the end of the story, if you compare the various Gospels, it says he healed them all. 5,000 men plus women and children. So D.A. Carson says probably 20,000 people. Imagine being among that crowd of 20,000 not one sick person left. You say, wow, God is visiting us. God is visiting us. And one of the other things was not only David's son, but in Deuteronomy 18, it said, another one like Moses will come. Well, of course, Moses, it would appear, fed the multitudes going through the wilderness. Moses led them. They had all the food they needed. Hey, look, he's fed us. And it's interesting, in John's account, it says, John 6.15, intending to come and take him and make him king. They wanted to snatch the agenda from him and say, no, go on, we're going to make you king. They're going to force the issue. He is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And of course, the apostles were very happy with that. Yeah, great. He's the king. Come, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand? They're not exactly ready for kingdom, actually. They even got their mother. The mother went, can my boys sit on your right hand and left hand? Uh, and so they got this concept of a kingdom that was pretty secular, pretty exciting, uh, full of the wrong stuff in their minds. And Jesus took them away from the crowd, put them on a boat and said, get out there. It didn't touch him. He wasn't moved by this wave of popularity. He withdrew, it says, and went up into a mountain to pray. And he put them in a safe place, away from the danger. They say, why a safe place? It was a storm. That's not a safe place. Well, it's safer than what they were going to have. And it's interesting to see how Jesus prepared them. And if you think of the, the Bible right across, you'll see how again and again God does prepare people this way. So you see David, for instance. David bursts on the scene as a teenager takes out Goliath. You think, wow, what a young guy that is. He just took Goliath away. And Saul says, who is this young man? Have him in my army. It makes him a captain. I mean, this is quick promotion to being a captain in Saul's army. And the girls start singing. They're singing. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And you know, David's in the palace. Yeah, I did my ten thousands. You can sing, girls. I like the look of you. And uh, <laughs> suddenly, David, who's still got things God wants to deal with in his life, 
find spears being thrown at him. You think, what's going on here? I, I'm the golden one. I'm the honored one. What a, what a, I could die one, hand. one day. I'll die at the hands of Saul. Uh, and you find he's going through a terrible time of testing and trial. I read a book years ago by a man called Alan Rad, Redpath. It's called The Making of a Man of God. You can be saved in a moment. I was saved the first night I ever heard the gospel. I thought, wow, I've never heard this before. Why hasn't somebody told me this before? And I remember kneeling, I received Christ. It takes a bit longer to make a man of God. You can become a believer today, this moment. You can walk out of this place. I'm a believer. Be wonderful for that to happen to you. You start a new life altogether. But you also start a program because we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for works he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We're, we're his working program. And David has to go through a season of difficulty and rejection and then ultimately comes out of that cave with a mighty army. It says in the Bible, like the army of God. God brought him through. Training program. Joseph was similar. Joseph starts as a bright, young, charismatic, dreaming dreams, seeing visions. He's also a bit obnoxious, says to his brothers, you'll bow down to me, I've seen a vision. It's pretty good, you know. His brothers really loved him for that. And uh, they, so they put him in a hole in the ground. Hey, what? You know, I'm, I'm the brilliant one. I've got the cloak. I'm the special one. Get in the ground. And not only that, they sell him down to Egypt. I mean, he's a stranger. What's going on? He's just forsaken. Where's my father? Forget your father. Get down there. And when he gets down there, he's in a home. He works faithfully. And then the woman turns against him and cries, rape. And he's put in prison. It's all unfair. It's desperately unfair. And he's getting further and further away. The promise is your brothers will bow down. Now you're in a hole. Now you're in a Potiphar's house. Now you're in prison. Every step takes me further away from the promise. What about the promise? What about the promise? He's in prison. You know, forget the promise. And then two guys are put in the prison with him. And you get this, this wonderful thing happens. They have dreams. And they come to Joseph and they say, I've had a dream. I think if I was Joseph, I'd say, forget dreams. That's what got me here. I gave up on dreams years ago. No, no. I love what he says. Tell me your dream. I think, wow, done, Joseph. Well done. Tell me your dreams. Wow, he still believes in dreams. He still believes in dreams. You still believe in your dream? God give you promise? Ah, years have gone by. It's not happened. Joseph said, tell me your dream. He still believes his dream. It's wonderful. And actually, only needs one more promise. One more dream. Needs one more dream. Needs, needs Pharaoh. I had this dream. Wow, here we go. And Joseph's taken out from that pit, that prison, right into the purposes of God. So this principle of putting through testing and trial is in the Bible. It doesn't end in prison. It doesn't end in a pit. It ends in the fulfilling of what God said would happen. That's the story here. And so here these guys are put into a storm, and it's a terrifying one. It's planned pressure. It's planned pressure. Being in a storm is no proof that you've lost the will of God. That's what we often think. Ah, oh, did I lose the Lord? How did this happen? 
I'm in pressure. And following Jesus is no guarantee. It's, oh, no, I put Jesus first. That's no guarantee. You won't see a storm. These guys are sent into a storm. Now, it's painful. It says they're in the middle of the lake. If you just look at some of the phrases, reading the story through, I was kind of captivated by some of the phrases and the Bible I use in the margin. It sometimes just tells you, this word means this, this word means this. Just to remind ourselves, first of all, they were in the middle of the lake, it says. And the lake is 13 miles long and seven and a half miles wide. So it's not like, oh, we're just going to get into the lake. Whoops, the weather's changing. Let's forget it. No, no, they are in the middle of it. It's like there's no obvious way out of this. And that's how it can be for us, beloved. You think, I'm in this and I can't see an obvious way out. There's pressure and I can't change the channel. You know, some of us with our remote controls don't like this program. Let's change the program. And we're a bit like that in this world. Let's change. I'll change my job. I'll change my team. I'll change my marriage. I'm out of here. I'm going to get out. These guys cannot get out. It's part of it. They cannot get out. And that's what the, sometimes these storms are like. You think, I can't see a way out of this. It's a real storm. It's not like we're having a go. It's a real storm. There's no obvious exit. And then the second thing is this. The wind is against them. They're not just in a lake. There's a storm. There's a wind that's against them. Circumstances become hostile, difficult. We're being blown backwards. We can't relax. That's it. No, you've got to keep rowing. You've got to keep rowing. Well, why, why, don't, why didn't your wife give up the job? Then you could. No, we can't. We have to both do it because we can't cover things if we don't. We both have to do it. But isn't it? Yeah, it is a pressure, but we can't walk away. Uh, but the wind, yeah, the wind's against us. But we, if we stop rowing, we're in trouble. And sometimes we get caught like that. I'm, I'm in trouble. I can't stop rowing. That's what it's saying here. We've got to keep going. Otherwise, we're going to be blown backwards. And it says they were straining at the oars. It's beginning to be a strain. They're not just there. It's really getting to us. And it's interesting, it says they were battered by the waves, verse 24. Battered. And the margin here says the Greek is the word tormented. They were tormented. And it's the same word that's used when demonic activity takes place. And people are tormented by demons. That's the word that's used in the Gospels. And these guys are getting tormented by the storm. It's getting out of the lake, into the boat, it's getting into their hearts. Now we can't sleep. Now we lie awake thinking about it. How are we going to get through this? I don't know how we're going to get through it. We lose sleep. We're, it's into us. It's, we're tormented by it. That's what's happening. These guys are right in the storm. The storm is getting right inside them. They're beginning to feel, what is happening to me? That's scary. And the next thing we see, it's, it's prolonged. One of the verses that were repeated phrases you'll find in the Psalms is, How long, O Lord? And that's what it feels like. Lord, how long is this going to go on for? This is pressure, and it's really intense. How long? And Jesus, we read in the story, came to them in the fourth watch. Well, the fourth watch was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. In other words, they've gone through a long night, probably pushed out, uh, late afternoon, and they've gone through a oh, long, Lord, this is a long night. 
The darkness has come and Jesus hasn't. And that's what we can feel. You know, I'm in the dark. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? The wonderful thing about this is that it's purposeful. Jesus sent them there. And later on, Peter will write in his epistle, Peter, who's being trained, this is a training program for apostles. He later writes in his epistle, don't be surprised at the fiery trial as though some strange thing was happening to you. Now, that's part of our problem as Christians, that we're surprised. Wow, I'm a Christian. How come this happens? I thought the preacher said, if you ask Jesus, it's all going to be sunny. And we're surprised. I never thought that it would be like this. We're surprised at the fiery trial. Again, in 1 Peter 1, he says, for a little while. So it doesn't seem like a little while. For a little while, you may have to suffer various trials. These have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor. You think, Lord, how long, how long? Now, God is proving the genuineness of our faith, the genuineness. that This isn't just easy believism. We come through the storms. And the Bible's full of these people who come through the storms, who prove He's utterly faithful. It's genuine. It's solid gold. And we trust God for timing. I was really helped uh, some time ago. I, I felt God spoke to me about, it says in Isaiah, He made me a polished arrow. He put me in his quiver. And that thought of an arrow really captured my mind. I was speaking at one of our big conferences in England. We called Stonely Bible Week. And uh, one evening I felt God really was opening this whole thing up to me about being an arrow. Uh, and it struck me that an arrow used to be something else. It used to be a branch in a tree. That was where it lived. That was its existence. It was a branch. And I think when I became a Christian, I kind of asked Jesus into my branch. <laughs> this phrase we've used, ask Jesus into your heart. It's not exactly a Bible thought, but it's like I stayed in my tree and drawing that sap, what Peter calls that futile way of life you inherited from your fathers. I kept drawing on that, that worldview, those old habits. They were all still there. And I'd asked Jesus into my branch, into my life. That's not the idea, really. And I felt it happen. I now, as a 16-year-old, I said, Lord, come into my life. And I thought, oh, wow, it's real. I knew it was real. But he's in my tree with my fun and my friends and my lifestyle and my language and all kinds of trash. And I've asked Jesus in. And I knew he was there. But it, for me, it needed another crisis. Probably about five years later, one Sunday, wow, God got hold of my life. Turned everything around. And I realized in a new way, I've got to come out of my tree. <laughs> if you want to be an arrow, you've got to come out of the tree. It's no good saying to a branch, how would you like to fly? I think a branch would say, what's flight? How about speed through the air? What's speed through the air? What about hitting a target? What's a target? You can't even identify with this whole wonderful process that God wants you to take you out and make you into something else. See, it's the same branch. It's the same piece of wood. It says about Peter, he left his boats and followed Jesus. 
He started a journey. It's true with Abraham. Right from the beginning, leave that, come with me. Step into a new world. I don't want to just stick with you in your world. Yeah, I've got my job, my career, my family. I've got Jesus as well. No, no, come on, out we come. I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to take you on a journey. I felt God gave me insight into this and excited me with it. And I thought this whole thing, you know, cut off the leaves. You think, ouch, ouch, that's part of me. Do I have to lose that leaf? Well, you know, arrows don't go, go too well with branches sticking off them. You've got to have these leaves and twigs cut off. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Okay. Then you need, you need penetrating power added. You, it doesn't matter how sharp you make a piece of wood. If it hits armor, it just doesn't work. You've got to have a, a, a head added. You've got to have something penetrating. Like it says of Peter, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they preached and the hearts were penetrated because they'd had this dynamic added. And they had feathers that made sure they were really properly balanced, spirit and word. I felt God gave me a word about this. I was quite excited about this. And I, I, I was preaching, and I, I felt God owned it. Uh, and then a few weeks later, I was in Kansas City. And I thought, I'm going to preach that word again. I preached it again. And a guy came up to me at the end. He said, I'm fascinated by your word. I enjoyed it. I said, oh, thank you very much. He said, I make arrows. That's my job. I said, really? Because, you know, lots of people are into uh, arrows in America, bow hunting in bows and arrows, they do a lot of it. Anyway, he said, uh, I thought you might be interested the way we make arrows. I said, tell me. He said, well, we, we, we cut the branches out, we clean them up, but then we stick them in a machine. And the machine has a kind of channel, lots of channels that run through it, uh, and we put each branch in each channel. Then we pour water through so that they're soaking in the water. Then he said, then we put the lid down, and then we turn the heat up. So I said, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. He said, we know exactly how long to leave the arrows in the heat. I said, well, what are we saying? He said, well, if we take it out too quickly, if we, if we remove them too quickly, he said, the outer casing hasn't come free. And you find you're hacking it away and you can damage the arrow that's hidden in there. You hack at it, it does it no good at all. He said, if you leave it too long, the inner part of that wood, it begins to mush up. It loses its density. You can't do anything with it. He said, we know exactly how long to leave it in the heat. Then we take it out and we just do that. And the outer casing comes off and we can start polishing that arrow. And he said, we know how long to leave it in the heat. I thought, oh, Lord, he's making us into arrows. You say, how long, oh, Lord, how long? This is hot. This is tough. How long? He knows exactly how long. Maybe you're waiting for this to finish. We've got to trust this one who says we are his workmanship, his work of art. We're his workmanship, created in Christ for works he prepared beforehand. For us to walk in. Hallelujah. He wants to give us a new identity, like an arrow, not a branch. Come into my world. Let me polish you. Let me move you into my purpose. But you may well find some heat on the journey. I want you to handle it. I want you to take it in your stride. And we see these guys are going through this. Let's go back to the story then. They're in the heat. 
They're in the storm. They think, what's happening to me? This is tough. It's getting into my spirit. I feel harassed. And then this wonderful word, Jesus sees them and comes walking to them. That's amazing. It doesn't say they scream, Jesus, help. He saw them. I'm so fascinated by what Mark just said now about people drowning. They don't necessarily shout out. And these had not shouted out, but Jesus saw them. You see, Jesus sent them their Jesus responsibility. It's not like Jesus, well, I'm a very holy person. I'll go and pray. Oh, are you in a storm? Oh, well, hard luck. It's lovely praying here. No, no, he's, he, they're his responsibility. Beloved, you're his responsibility. He called you. He called you. You belong to him. So he's up in, this, up in the mountain, but they belong to him. He doesn't abandon them. He never abandons us. He came to them before they ever started praying. He initiated saving them. He's a wonderful Savior. He comes searching for us. And he came down looking for them. Hallelujah. He is after them. He's the initiator. He's the mercy provider. And this is what the preparation's about. Soon he will no longer be around. They're going to hit storms. They're going to hit the Sanhedrin who say, you no longer preach in this name. That early band of disciples, they, they hit authority and pressure and prison. It's like, Jesus, he's not here. Where is he? He's gone through the heavens. And so here's a training program. Where's Jesus? He's up in the mountain praying. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 4, it says that we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And it says this, there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He's in the heavens, but all things are open and laid bare. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows the anguish you're in. It's all open to him. And Jesus sees it. Now, there's no floodlights over the, the, the lake, but he sees it. He comes down to them. And fascinatingly, he comes from the mountain where he's been with his father, and he walks on the water. We read the story. And it says, they thought it was a ghost. I wonder why they thought it was a ghost. Well, we know another time Jesus is in the mountain, and he's transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And his face and his whole body shone and glowed with divine glory. I wonder if that happened other times when he's with his Father. This is God in the flesh. He came down from the mountain, and there's the sea. He just keeps walking and walks to them. And they see this. It's a ghost. They're screaming. And then he says, no, no, don't, don't be frightened. And then he says what our Bibles say, it is I. Take courage, it is I. The Greek language is interesting. And sometimes there's emphasis. So the Greek word I me means I am. E-I-M-I, I me, I am. But Jesus sometimes says, ego, I me. Well, our Bibles don't translate it that way, but that's literally what he said. So he says, don't be afraid. Ego, I me. Don't be afraid. I am. This Old Testament name that Moses was introduced to, this God. Don't be afraid. Do you know who's involved in your life? I am. 
I am. You find that Jesus said to uh, the Pharisees, unless you believe I am, you'll die in your sins. Before Abraham was, I am. Not just I was, before Abraham was, I am. It says in the Garden of Gethsemane, they, he came forward and said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they fell back. I am. This, uh, it's just saying, hey, it's this God. We're caught up with God. And the disciples are learning all the time, who is this person we've started following? This wonderful preacher, healer, wonderful friend. This is God. This is God. And yet we can also translate it, if you like, more colloquially. Don't be frightened. It's me. It's wonderful to know I am as a friend who says, it's me. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm enough. Let's just see this as we close. Simon Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And in that moment, the miracle happens that he is able and does walk on water right out to Jesus. And he gets just, just a hand away from Jesus and begins to look at the storm. And, and, and it says he begins to sink. Now, Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, good try. Bye. It's nice to see you. Know. No, no, I've heard people say things like this. He, he said, hey, you had courage. The others didn't. You know, at least you had a go. It's difficult, isn't it? You don't know where to put your foot down, really. It's quite... <laughs> it doesn't say that. He says this, you little faith. Is Jesus having a bad day? He sounds a bit grumpy. No, this is the truth. He's never grumpy. When he speaks, it's always true. He says, you little faith. You should have believed me. You should have believed me. Beloved... It's so encouraging to know he thinks we can do it. He thinks we can do it. And Peter in 2 Peter later on says, we've escaped the corruption that's in the world. We don't have to sink. We're partakers of the divine nature. We can walk on water. We can do it. He has done enough that we can do it. We can cope. We just need to keep our eyes on him. Don't any of you, I'm sure we all believe this. If he'd kept looking into Jesus' eyes, he'd have walked. Beloved, some of you are in a storm. Phil, God put this on my heart this morning. What kind of confirmations earlier? God knows about your storm. It's part of his program, part of his training. He doesn't want you to throw away your confidence doesn't want you to abandon your hope. He doesn't want you to think, I'm just at the mercy of events. I'm getting sucked into this. I never intended this. I thought he led me. How did I get into this mess? No, we need to believe in a sovereign God who's enough for us. Amen? He's enough for us. Let's get focused afresh. In a moment, I'm going to invite you. Why don't you just come back to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I just want to express to you this morning, I truly trust you. Like Joseph, I refuse to give up my dream. I refuse to give it up. I'm going to keep believing that you're for me. That's what God is wanting from us. We heard earlier that there's a prayer team here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage. Sometimes it just needs someone to pray over us, pray with us. They fortify us with their faith. Can we stand to pray, please?
Father, thank you so much that we're not just random. We're not just being tossed about by events. We're your workmanship. We thank you. You are making us into something, even in the pressures. The Holy Spirit, please come and do your work in us. Win from us fresh confidence. Help us to step out from that snake skin that wants to pull us backwards and come out fresh, back again into the beauty of your promise. Bless this word to us, we pray. If you, if you know in your heart God's just been speaking to you. you just know this. I know this is God. I know this is me. I want to invite you right now. Would you just slip out of your row? Come. Let's pray with you. Let's pray with you. We won't take a long time, but don't miss the opportunity. When God's spoken, it's so important that we immediately say, yes, Lord. So just say, excuse me, excuse me. Let's come and be prayed for. And with that prayer team who pray with people, would you come up as well? We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to help you. We'd love to stand with you. You know it's tough. Maybe other people don't know the challenge you're facing, the problem you're in. But God knows. He sees it. Everything's open. He wants to bless us. He wants to refresh us in his promises and in his love.